for podcasts. The PSAs you hear on Miller and Condon and iHeartMedia Des Moines are presented in part by Nick Mick. We take care of our own. Now, here's Miller and Condon. Welcome back. Hour number two. If you were looking for Governor Reynolds' press conference, postponed 24 hours. Out of respect to uh, George Floyd's funeral that is happening right now in Houston, the governor postponed it uh, till Wednesday at this time. So we'll carry it tomorrow uh, at 11 o'clock in the morning. Gives us some time, a little potpourri, lots of ground to cover. Uh, some topics that we wanted to get to that obviously the Iowa news uh, kept us uh, our undivided attention front and center. So put that on the, we're not missing anything, I don't right. think, are we? No. I think we've covered most of it. Uh, and it's more shoes drop. If more shoes drop, we'll get back into it. So a couple of things. Uh, let's start with the 30 for 30 since we were just fresh of mind uh, with Zubin joining us. And we're looking forward to McGuire and Sosa. But that in a second. So you watched Bruce Lee. I did. Did you, because I couldn't get through it, it in its entirety. In one sitting. There was a, a lot going on also Sunday night. That's why, and I couldn't wait for 8 o'clock because I wanted to just get away from it all, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. And I couldn't stay focused on it. Yeah. I, I've, of all of the ones that ESPN has put out, this might be my least favorite. Just didn't do a whole lot for me either. Mm-hmm. It was something that I never got into. I never had that era where I was into karate, kung right. fu. Didn't take it as a little kid. Didn't do anything like that. Do you so. remember the television show? No. See, I don't think I watched it either. In fact, I know I didn't. I know I've, I've never seen any of the movies, certainly in totality. Nor have I. I. Maybe flipped on and saw it for a couple minutes here or there, flipping through you know, cable channels when I was younger, something like that. But overall, it just it never grabbed me. Mm-hmm. We were hopeful last week. Maybe this would be the one that's kind of off the beaten path. Right. Would be there. there was Low a, expectations yeah. and blows you away. Didn't happen uh-huh. for me, and it sounds like you. for you either. It was fine. It was interesting. It wasn't sports. No, that's just it, right? It was about his... Look, it doesn't it, have to be sports, but... No, and it's kind of, you know, with the climate that we're in right now, right? I mean, mm-hmm. he was... Uh, it was not the easiest back in the in, in the 60s, the way the Asian culture was treated. Right. Uh, as well, and he couldn't break into... Uh, the movie business because of the way that he spoke and then producers and direct producers, I guess, came right out and said as much uh, that it was just his voice that would keep him away from being a star. I mean, the, the talent that they, they, they had was, I mean, it was indisputable. It just jumps off the screen, right? The cameras back then had trouble keeping up with him. Right. He was so fast. It would get blurry the way his hands moved. But, um, and he died so young. Right. It's 32, 33 mm-hmm. years old, whatever it was. But, I finished it yesterday. I probably watched 40 minutes, and then I went back to finding more about what was going on at Iowa on Sunday night. I did. Yeah, it was kind of the same direction. I got to it late. I think it was going on 10.30, something like that. But I wasn't locked in. I was on my phone a lot during it, too, Mm -hmm. as I was watching. And there were just pieces. I never never got sucked in. Like sometimes, even if it's a, a random topic... You can in a documentary, and he didn't. You weren't able to put faces to the voices that right. were answering the questions. The way it was done was different. Um, I'm going to give it one star. One star on a scale of a five. A five. I'll give it a half. Yeah. It, I mean, I'm. I don't know. Yeah. 
Wasn't for us. Now, the fact that they have the footage, that's what blows me away with some of these yeah. things that they're able to come up with some of this incredible uh, video that they're able to uh, you know, bring to television screens or movie screens. But, but look at now, what we, how we viewed or how we felt about this past weekend, the bar is set really, really high for this weekend because oh. Sammy Sosa versus Mark McGuire was an incredible summer. Uh, if you're a sports fan, and I was a still am pretty hardcore baseball fan, and I loved every minute of it. It was great content for sports talk radio, especially when we had when you had two guys that didn't grow up here trying to do sports talk full time, um, and really had no no history of Iowa or Iowa State, and you couldn't do topics or couldn't do a you know find time in the summer months to find something about the two needle movers. So that moved it for me uh, and killed a uh, a lot of segments, and it was. It delivered. It really and truly did. Delivered. Looking uh, through some of that season, 1998, this was, for me, I remember the conversations. This is my senior year as I'm graduating high school and playing my final season of high school baseball. And every day we go to the ballpark, Mm -hmm. either for practice or a game, and this is all we were talking about was Sosa McGuire. People that, guys that I played with and had moved away from baseball that weren't big watching baseball games those guys were sucked back in. The conversation about baseball as a whole and revitalizing itself after 1994, how big of a conversation that was, too, that era, these hulking figures. And then you get the Cubs aspect to it, too. Uh, They had the run in 89. Mm -hmm. But to get to the playoffs, that was such a big deal on top of it, having the Cardinals, another Midwest team, and McGuire, a Cardinals organization that – you know, we talk about the model of consistency, but that's really been over the last two decades. Before this point, there were some lean years there during the 90s, oh, and that yeah. was not an organization that was looked upon as fondly as we look upon it now. So there were all these different pieces that go into it. The Padres and the Yankees play in the World Series. I, I was a big Padres fan. My two favorite players, Kirby Puckett, <laughs> yeah. obviously with the Twins, and Tony, and Tony Gwynn. Because they were short, fat guys like uh-huh. me. So uh-huh. that, those were my guys. That series didn't last long, Trent. It, it didn't. Yeah, game one, right. Layritz with the home run. And for all intents and purposes, it uh-huh. was over at that point. But what a fun baseball season. Chase it really to was. Chase 61. The chase mm-hmm. to Roger Maris from? North Dakota. Yes, Fargo, North Dakota. Fargo. Fargo, North Dakota. Roger Maris. Yeah, we carried the Cardinals. I'm pretty sure we had the Cardinals in, in 98. And so we got all Kenny T would come in and he would download the clips, the the home run calls, and so Jack Buck was doing it. And then you go home and you watch uh, day baseball from mm-hmm. uh, from Wrigley Field, and that was Chip Carey. And by the sounds of things, you played the pro. That yeah, was yeah. him, right? Yep. Uh, Chip Carey and Jack Buck, and uh, just Jack Buck, boy, his voice was unbelievable. I'll never forget. I met him probably in '98, '90 around the, that time, and um, he was old and he was frail and he's tiny little guy. Did you know that about him? No. He that voice. He wasn't, at least that was, that's my memory of him, like slight, maybe 135, 140 pounds, but just dressed immaculately. Look, and, met him in Jupiter at spring training. Yeah. So going into that year, baseball as a talker on your program, is it? Was it a day-in, day-out yeah, type of thing? Yeah, absolutely, because we were we had no knowledge of Iowa and Iowa State. One of us didn't want to talk about Iowa and Iowa State. Is that you? No. <laughs> but I wasn't in this chair. Uh-huh. I was in the other chair at yep. the time. So, um, no, we, and we're big, huge baseball fans. All of us. Thompson mm-hmm. was the same way. Loved the game of baseball, but this was, this was so good. And then when the Andro thing hit the fan... 
Um, and is it tainted? And, you know, I, I wasn't going, I wasn't buying that at all. I was just, baseball was back, Trent. Right. Baseball was back. And after, after the strike, it was, it was so great to see that, you know, people were talking about baseball again, but man, oh man, it's just amazing. My, my, one of my memories of, of being fortunate enough to get a press pass was, would be spring training, maybe that same year. Maybe the same year, maybe ninety eight, maybe ninety seven, whatever it was, and I was actually a Dodger town in Vero Beach, Florida. Vero Beach was that where? It was? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I think it is, and it's just beautiful. I mean, Vero Beach. Why the Dodgers ever left there? I mean, I get it. Arizona, Location, yeah. right? Arizona, L.A. But it they had so much land, and. As pristine a place as you're ever going to see. But the Cardinals were taking on the Dodgers. So we got press passes because we were a Cardinals affiliate. And stood behind the batting cage when Mark McGuire would step in to take his cuts in spring training. And Piazza and Zeal and all of, and Lasorda and all of the Dodgers who and it was the Cardinals that were in the field this time. It was them that's taking BP. And to watch all the Dodgers come out of the clubhouse and sit on the dugout step and watch this behemoth hit balls into what was an craziest place, um, wherever Dodger Town Vero Beach is located, on the other side of the outfield is an airport. Oh, really? There's an airport. There's like a bunch of trees, and then on the other side of that, there's there's the airport. So as the planes are landed, watch the towering fly balls that this man hit, and just the sound of the ball coming off of his bat. It's like nothing you'd ever heard. And to be within, I don't know, eight feet of it when he was doing it, time after time after time in BP, that's something I'll never forget. You know, another part I remember vividly is as a card collector during this time, I had Fallen out of it a little bit, but all of a sudden you kind of get rejuvenated. Griffey was having a great season. Mm-hmm. Those rookie cards of, of Ken Griffey Jr. were well, my son, I give to my son some of my favorites. Yep. And oh boy, maybe this does have a little value. Help me, maybe pay for a book when I get to college. And going through it, but the McGuire rookie card, how skinny he was, oh, just amazing. real in his, thin. His uniform in '88 or '89. '89. It was the well, he had the '87. Where he's wearing the Team USA jersey. Okay, yep, yep, I remember that card. And uh, yeah, and then the 88 rookie card. Mm-hmm. And just looking what this guy, oh, what know. he looked like. I know. And then what he turned into and how and he, he looked a decade said him, later. And himself, I was born to hit home runs. Yeah. Well, you didn't really look like it in the 88 picture. <laughs> he did then. 49, what, in his rookie year? In his rookie, rookie year? year? Absolutely. Absolutely. Him and Jose Canseco, those are some unbelievable A's teams. But yeah, that the, so this, is, this has got a chance to be... I think really good. I think so, too. The other baseball news that made me chuckle yesterday. Did you see who was trending in baseball yesterday in the middle of the day? No, no. Middle of the day. Angel Hernandez. Oh, no. Trending on Twitter. What now? I guess his court case must have uh, oh, okay. got started or uh, whatever it was was behind it. But um, yeah, Angel Hernandez, who sued MLB, what did he claim? That they were blackballing him that they were limiting his opportunities yeah he filed right. a lawsuit uh recently against that so trending on twitter just one more baseball note we'll move on um if you're an athletic subscriber or even if you're not i believe there's a free trial going on i read maybe my favorite piece on the athletic since the website began really and it was a baseball piece and of all guys it had to do with it was yesterday it was published yesterday if you're a royals fan I highly, if you're a baseball fan, but in particular, if you're a Kansas City Royals fan, 
Zach Greinke was the focus of the piece, mm-hmm. and I don't know who the writers were. Uh, I don't remember their names, but it was really well done. But they went and asked probably five or six of their of Greinke's former teammates what he was like as a member of the Kansas City Royals. Trent, it is riveting. It is a great piece. This guy is as off the wall as you would imagine. Some of the stuff you might have heard of Zach Greinke, and they love him. I mean, his teammates love him, mm-hmm. and some of the stuff that they were saying about him was, you know, they're not belittling, they're not ridiculing, not poking fun in any way. This is how, this is who he was. It's a long piece, uh, but as good a piece as I've read at The Athletic since the newspaper went online was published last night. And if you're jonesing for baseball, as yes. many of us are. Yes. Um, I was glad I clicked on it. I was glad I clicked on it because it is a terrific read. I encourage you to do so. I definitely will. I uh, might need to have me. I, I look for it here, and I didn't. It didn't pop up at least. Well, do you when know, I was searching? Are the teams? Because don't you list the teams that you want on yeah. your feed? Yeah. And I'm and, the but Royals. I went to the normal search part on the Royals feed, and I didn't find it there. So hmm. yeah. Well, we'll find it though. We'll find it because I am jonesing for baseball. Oh man, and. I saw a tweet yesterday that showed basically what the owners are doing in terms of money, and stretching it out. The first part, the first proposal that they sent, basically equates to thirty-three percent of overall salary in the league. The second proposal, about thirty-three percent, and this latest, about thirty-three percent of the salary that it's going to be. They're they're just shifting chairs on, uh-huh. on the Titanic. That's uh-huh. all they're doing. Ultimately, coming to the same destination, either a sinking ship or we're going to pay about 33%. Yeah, but you know what? And I agree with you. Those those numbers are how I read them as well. I was, after the weekend, I thought, God, you know what? These guys aren't going to do it. They're not going to, they're, they're, they're willing to just blow it up. I'm more encouraged that the two sides are talking. Now, this doesn't mean they're going to get to an agreement. And I don't think that there's a lot of time left to get there. But the fact that they've engaged in conversation again, I think probably made me more optimistic than perhaps I should have been or should be. You know, I continue to hear sports fans that say, getting more and more frustrated, Mm -hmm. and say, if this thing doesn't get started until the middle of July, we're going to have the NBA playoffs. We're going to have the NHL playoffs. Mm -hmm. We're going to have football starting up and getting going in in some form or fashion at that point. And I just say the hell with it. You you could have had the spotlight here. This easily... Guys would be trading right now, however that would look. In Florida, Arizona, in their own park, whatever it may be, that could be happening right now. But this back and forth, this measuring contest that is happening on each side of people, people are getting very, sports fans are getting very, I'm frustrated by it. Figure it out. I just want to see the game. I just want to have those stories. I just want something in the evening to flip on and take my mind away from everything else that is going on and this craziness that is happening. And you read a good story on COVID. Now you read a negative story. And the back and forth every single night, just want to flip on a ball game. I'm not going to be locked into mm-hmm. Yankees Rays, but I'm watching it. Yeah. And six o'clock comes around and there's a game and random afternoon and it's not the Cubs, it's just somebody. The Giants are playing a 245 game against the Dodgers. Okay, it's something, something to pass the time, something to get your mind off it. And the back and forth that continues, it just it gets so frustrating to me. I get it. I get money's involved. I know what this ultimately and, and is going to be. And injuries, too. That's a big mm-hmm. precautionary 
um, nugget that's thrown out there by the Players Association. They don't want to play for this. They're not going to get the entire amount of money. We'll see. All right, so your high school nugget. We, yes. We do have a, a location change for opening night of baseball, which is mm-hmm. coming up in six weeks. Or six weeks, six days. Yep. Uh, high school baseball begins, and Ankeny at Roosevelt's been moved. It has been, yeah. Scheduled to play over at Roosevelt High School. They are moving it to Principal Park. So we will begin the season on Monday night, June 15th. Ankeny Centennial, as I'm putting together my rankings this week, and I hope to have a full preview of the CIML here later on the week up at KXNO.com. Certainly Centennial is going to be in my preseason top 10. Roosevelt returns a lot of talent after off a team that won 25 games a year ago. Should be a really good game. And uh, we're going to pick up in progress talking to Andrew Downs. 6 o'clock at game one and then bring in the totality of game two of the doubleheader from Principal Park. And the high school baseball season will begin that day at 1 o'clock. Tri-County against Colfax Mingo. So they want, is that why did they move the uh, the first pitch time up so they could be in the spotlight? For the, I, I don't know. Be the first that. team to play in the state of Iowa? I wonder if there's going to be a Midnight Madness game. Somebody going to be playing oh, earlier there. But I'm sure just for scheduling, that's the way that it played out here. It will be since the last game played in Principal Park, 281 days mm. since uh, the playoffs last year for the mm. I-Cubs and their final game there. So that will get things start, started. Tri-County, one of the smallest schools in the state, will be uh, in the spotlight to begin the high school baseball season. Two members of the South Iowa Cedar League doing battle, and then we'll have play-by-play on Monday night with Roosevelt and Ankeny Centennial. Got a lot of games listed down there at Principal Park. They're going to play 17 games over 18 days. Really? So uh, so that came together very quickly yeah. since we last spoke with Randy Wayhofer, because when did we have him from the Iowa Cubs, the assistant GM? Last week at some point, and I don't last think... Last Wednesday. Was it last Wednesday? Mm-hmm. I don't think that they'd finalized the game, and 17 out of 18 days, they're going to have games down there. They're, well, it's a ballpark. They should. Yeah, 17 games in 18 days. There'll be some doubleheaders oh, gotcha. also. Okay. Is uh, how they'll oh, be covering sure. that up on the local front. We talked to uh, Baxter head football coach Rob Luther last yep. week. Baseball team will be playing Cole Unesco next Wednesday. Uh, then a doubleheader with Des Moines Lincoln and Dowling Catholic on Wednesday. And this is all at Principal Park. All at Principal Park. Yeah, the following Wednesday, Grinnell and Pella Christian, Ames and Knoxville. On and on and on. Big schedule there. I'll make sure to tweet out that uh, schedule. They're still working on some others. July first, Ankeny Centennial versus Ankeny. A doubleheader, so a lot of ball games at Principal Park, and here's the other part: seating capacity in Principal Park. Oh, what is it? What have they limited it to? Well, it's eleven thousand plus. Yeah, uh, during to to have capacity in there for baseball. I found it here in the notes. Let me scroll through. It's just shy of two thousand now. Is the way that it's going to be one thousand? Is there a seat diagram, or is there a diagram? They don't have a picture here, but it says one thousand nine hundred thirty-three seats available to comply with social distancing guidelines. All right, we will uh, talk to Adam Rittenberg from ESPN coming up next. He uh, wrote a piece. uh, He interviewed Deontay Morrow. Deontay Morrow was the uh, former Hawkeye. He accused Doyle. uh, Chris Doyle of didn't he say go back to the ghetto? Going to send him back to the ghetto. But did he actually say that now that we've read? Because mm-hmm. uh, I don't recall in the... I mean, look, there, it, was a, it was a huge back and forth, and Ferentz took uh, Chris Doyle's side. Uh, but Adam Rittenberg caught up with Deontay Morrow yesterday. Morrow was one of the former players that played, what, mid of the last decade, 
2007, 8 or 8, 9, I want to say. He was a big recruit, too. He was an Ohio kid that yeah. came in. He was a four-star. And finished at Toledo, right? Is that where it yeah, was? Yeah, I think he left He left Iowa and uh, and finished at Toledo, but started as a freshman, then maybe lost his gig is um, 2007 and 2008. So uh, Adam Rittenberg write, wrote the story. He's the one of their college football writers over at ESPN.com. He's scheduled to join Trent and I next. We will... Pick his brain on, uh, on, uh, on the piece that he wrote. I, I still don't sense Trent that my my opinion has not moved one way or another uh, regarding uh, Kirk Ferentz at at Iowa. I mean, I, I don't. I think this is an awful look on his mm-hmm. part. I don't think he's. I, I think he's going to be there when you and I shows up. I'm convinced he is. You mentioned at the top of the show today that that conversation that was had with the team, the first yep. team meeting as they're coming back together on campus. We continue to hear so many positive things about mm-hmm. that. Kirk Ferentz was asked by Dennis Dodd on Sunday if he was worried about losing his job. And Ferentz said, from everything I've heard from the players, that right. isn't anything that they want. And I think that's what it is. It was change with Chris Doyle. That's more than anything what people were looking at. Girl Johnson Kulianos, does he have a problem with Kirk Ferentz? Yes. Mm-hmm. But that mm-hmm. is one. And vice versa. Of thousands of players now that have gone through that program one, two, three, those stories. But when it's 35, 40, right. 50 right. that we're hearing on the other side, that's where you get. And I, I think any coach in any capacity at any level coaches somewhere for two decades, you're going to find a couple of people that mm-hmm. have bad things to say. But when it's that little in comparison, I think that still does say a lot about Kirk Ferentz. And I am hopeful that he is listening. And then not just listening, but going to work towards change. He seems to have that kind of demeanor. He seems to be that kind of person. I'm hopeful that that will come to fruition. Trent, this is, I, I totally agree with you. I believe he is, will too. This is, this is why I struggled so mightily with it um, over the weekend. I watch Kirk Ferentz in the locker room after games in tears yeah. with his guys. And it makes me cry. It does. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's 60, you cry in commercial. But just seeing his love Again, it's what we want to see, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, what they want to see in some want us to see in some respects, but he just didn't seem to be this guy. This is, I think, why uh, in maybe at the crux of the disbelief that what we thought we knew we didn't know. You know, we thought we knew this guy, but maybe there is this other side to this guy. And th- three dozen, forty something, four dozen former players come out and said. Uh, African-American players have come out and said, I had a horrible experience at the University of Iowa. And I believe him. Yeah. I absolutely believe him. Was Chris Doyle a hard ass? I believe that too. No doubt. I mean, football's a disciplined program, and they are going to kick your butt and make you, you know, as, as most of them say, James Daniels said he wouldn't be in the NFL without Chris Doyle. Was a line crossed, though, and it feels yeah, like it feels like it was. Absolutely was. There's one thing about being a disciplinarian. You can be those kind of things, but they did, did they go too far? Not just in, in the verbal side of it, what, what we're obviously seeing, but just program-wide. Talked about this at the top, just the timeline, how bad things were looking mm-hmm. for Iowa football and that program. Did they go too far? I think we could look back and say that. It's but revisionist at the same, history. At the same time, Trent, and, and you know, I hadn't even thought of that at the time, what were, what was the nickname of the of the, the city boys the city boys mm-hmm. right the city boy had to rein it in because look at 
Hawkeye fans were fed up with what was going on inside that program. Get control of this program. It's out of control. You heard that a lot. And then the success that came right after right. they did that right. in 2009. And, and certainly 2010, mm-hmm. well, the wins didn't pile up in the same way. And it went down a little bit, and then it popped back up with 2015 and those types of things. How they got there, it's not cutting corners, but it's not doing it the right way. You know, that we, we've laughed plenty of times about... Win, graduate, do it right. Mm-hmm. Didn't do it right for everybody. No, a lot of them. A lot of them come forward. And one of them, Deont- Deontay Morrow, spoke with Adam Rittenberg, who's scheduled to join us next. When we continue, Miller and Condon are with you until noon on Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO and 106. And Miller, Trent Condon. Miller and Condon on 1460 KXNO. And now on 106.3 FM. Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KXNO, about 25 minutes before the hour noon. Let's get Adam Rittenberg in here, longtime college football writer for ESPN at ESPN.com. He joins us. Adam, uh, Trent Condon, my name's Ken Miller. Thanks for coming on, Adam Rittenberg. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, uh, Trent and Ken. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you coming on. You know, before we get into your piece from yesterday, that uh, when you caught up to Deontay Morrow, uh, you've covered Iowa from afar as you covered the Big Ten for for a long time, uh, Adam. When you saw the tweets start to come out on Friday night, or when you saw them for the first time, what went through your mind, knowing as as you've covered and interviewed Kirk Ferentz as many times as you have? Um, Shock, disbelief. Where where were you when you first saw the story? As far as in your mind, how did uh, how did it resonate to you? Right. Well, it's all, as you guys know, it, it's a it's a program where very little is said. Um, you know, kind of in that in that light. So it was certainly a surprise to see you know the the first uh, you know, tweets and then the flurry of responses. Um, you know that that happened because you just don't hear that very often from. Iowa uh, alums and there's a lot of pride in that group and they're just not a group that you know it, you know at least from from my knowledge is, is is accustomed to speaking out especially about you know uh, you know a negative thing that happened in the program so there's obviously uh, you know cases here and there but the number of responses and the you know the themes in the responses especially from the the African American players who who had played for Iowa uh, you know was was definitely jarring um, I, you know I, I wouldn't say it's a complete surprise because it's something I thought about in covering Iowa before because of the, the way the program's set up and just the, the, the you know, the, the state demographics and, mm-hmm. and where they recruit from. And, and I, and I just wonder, I've wondered just out loud to myself, what is it like for the African American players here? Um, but I think we got an answer from, you know, many of them, not, not to say that it's a bad experience for everybody. And a lot of those players still had really good experiences at Iowa. I think one of the themes that's come out of this is I don't, I haven't seen very many players, if any calling for coaching changes, they just want to see changes right. in the program in how they respond to these players and that they're, that they're, um, you know, their, their, their stories and who they are, I think is valued at the same level as how good they are in the field. And one thing I didn't get into my piece with Morrow but that he said to me yesterday is that, you know, he said something to the effect of they, they, they liked us as recruits. They, they liked the elements we brought to this program as recruits, but uh, there was not the same care or interest in who we were as people. 
And, you know, whether you want to say that's an isolated incident or not, I think there's been enough responses to say that there, there, there definitely was not a, enough care put in those areas for the for this portion of, of Iowa players. As your conversation went on yesterday, Deontay Merrow, uh, talking with him uh, about what happened, this altercation. We saw the Twitter response, your column up on ESPN.com. Certainly very interesting, and though the word ghetto wasn't used, it was certainly an intent sending him back to Glenville, sending him back to where he came from in Cleveland there. Boy, it sounded incredibly raw there, and I think the disappointing aspect of that conversation as a whole is the way it happened afterwards. Altercations between coaches, yelling, those types of things happen, but how it played out then following that by the University of Iowa, that is disappointing. Right, and again, you know, I, I haven't spoken with Kirk Ferentz or certainly Chris Doyle at length about this, but according to Deontay, what happened, you know, he basically got, you know, sent out of the weight room after the altercation with Doyle, and then the following day, you know, he met with his position coach, who at the time was, was Phil Parker, now the defensive coordinator, um, and then he went to meet with, with Coach Ferentz, and, you know, it, at least according to Deontay, he provided in great detail everything that happened during the altercation, and uh, Ferentz, you know, really it seemed to, to, to take the side of Chris Doyle and, 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 and basically said that uh, Deontay had, had disrespected him and that needed to go and apologize. And it didn't, at least according to, to Morrow, it didn't really matter uh, to Ferentz what Doyle had said to Morrow in that, in that altercation, which, again, again according to Deontay, was, was he, he was riding a stationary bike because he wasn't feeling well and a trainer had told him to do that. And Doyle basically told him to get off the bike and get back into the workout, and that led to the altercation. And then there was one other, you know, meeting with Doyle that I referenced in the piece, where um, I think, uh, you know, according to Deontay, he he went and said, "Listen, we both said some things we we probably w- 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 uh, wish we had regretted, or, or that we do regret, probably w- wish we hadn't said." Um, and uh, and Doyle's response was, "Well, you owe me an apology. You haven't done anything here." Uh, and and that basically was kind of the end. They, they wouldn't even shake hands. And that was the, basically the end of Morrow's career at Iowa. So it's, it's just an unfortunate situation. But I think, um, at least according to Morrow, it underscored some bigger issues with uh, with Chris Doyle and maybe with Kirk Ferentz and that program in terms of um, you know d- did they fully hear his side of the story? Did they fully uh, you know kind of uh, embrace? Uh, you know his perspective of what happened in the room that day. You know, there's the my problem with the with the Zoom on on, on Sunday night was just how many can't recalls from from Coach Ferentz yeah. when he and, and you know him, Adam, from in dealing with him. I mean, this guy's got the mind of a steel trap. He can go back, you know, decades from when he first got to Iowa and tell you the exact play that they ran at the exact time and what the down and distance was. This is the, this guy remembers so much of these things, and for him to forget some of these, you know, seemingly big stories as we're coming through it. I can't believe that, you know, that that's uh, entirely truthful. Yeah, I, I, I can, I certainly understand that perspective and, and I've thought the same thing. And, and again, the strength coach at many programs is uh, attached to the hip of the head coach. Yep. I think at Iowa, it's maybe the most anywhere or one of the most anywhere because uh, of the value that they put on Chris Doyle and what he does with his strength and conditioning program and how that relates to the team's model for success. As you guys know, and all your listeners know, Iowa does not go out and recruit a bunch of five-star players. They, they recruit mid-tier uh, uh, prospects, bring them in, develop them largely in the weight room, and uh, end up in a sense overachieving as a program. And they've done that for many, many years, and they've produced a lot of players in the NFL. And obviously Chris Doyle deserves a lot of credit for that. But it, it is a little puzzling that 
so much of this happened in that portion of the program, and yet the head coach doesn't seem to know or recall or, or, or have any sort of uh, corroboration and seem you know, surprised by a lot of these allegations. Now, one thing that Deontay Morrow told me is that, you know, that is Chris Doyle's domain, and, and, and yeah. it's not like a lot of coaches are in that weight room. They, they, that, that, that's his area. That's his show, as Deontay said, and they leave him alone. But, uh, you know, let's not uh, you know, c- kind of confuse how Iowa has success. And I think it all is intertwined to a degree. And yeah, as you guys know, head coaches, especially good ones like Kirk Ferentz, know what is going on in their program with pretty much every player at all times. That, that's why they're successful. Yeah, that was going to be my follow-up question. Adam Rittenberg from ESPN, as much as you've been around college football, the decades of covering it, Adam, um, have you ever seen a coach that's successful that doesn't know every nuance inside of his program? Well, yeah, or, or doesn't have great communication with uh, his subordinates that, that, that he hears from them and, and that if something's going on, uh, you know, it's not just that he said or he said two people, uh, you know, situation that, that he could go and, and ask other people who were there. I mean, clearly this, this situation in the room, there were more than two people. Uh, and, and why not ask, you know, other people what, 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 what happened? Why not ask the trainer who told Morrow that he could go on the exercise bike? Why not ask right. other players or other folks who, who hopefully would, would be forthcoming about, about what happened? So, I just think that there's a, a, a level, you know, A, there's probably a, a degree of sensitivity that needs to be brought into the program, especially regarding African-American players. I mean, j- just picture it. Try to picture it in their shoes. You're coming to a state, as you guys know, that's mostly white, mm-hmm. a campus that's mostly white, a coaching staff that's mostly white, a strength coach who's white, and a lot of them are from really tough backgrounds, and Deontay Morrow was one of them. And uh, that's, that's a hard situation to be in. And uh, I think there just needs to be a little bit, while motivating and being demanding, I get that that's part of the football culture, but does this, is this other stuff really necessary? I mean, that, that, that's where I come from. I mean, I, I investigated Maryland, and a lot of their issues were you know, similar with their strength coach. I just don't know if this stuff is needed in, in college football to be successful. Is this type of motivation, you know, whether, I, I don't know, if, you know if, it's, if it's racist or not. That's for other people to, 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 to decide. But a lot of people have said, well, this kind of stuff happens everywhere. Does it need to happen everywhere anymore in 2020? I don't think so. I think that's what these Iowa players are saying. It doesn't need to be this way. And let's try to understand each other a little bit better. Because if not, there are going to be major problems going forward. We're talking with ESPN's Adam Rittenberg. It's Miller and Condon on KXNO. Adam, as you look to the future of the Iowa football program, recruiting is the lifeblood of any college program and bringing that in just how difficult do you anticipate this is going to be the negative recruiting that is going to go on and well people just putting these stories out in front of these different high school prospects when you when you look to the future how big of a blow is this to Iowa football well you know it's certainly concerning uh, because of you know the number of players and also just the demographics of the team you know that that uh, I think you know a lot of a lot of the the black players and their families that Iowa is targeting might have additional questions now, and that's why it's so important. I think the work that goes on right now at Iowa, um, regardless of what happens with Chris Doyle's future uh, as a strength coach, how are they going to change as a program? How are they going to maybe be more sensitive to uh, these players and, and, and what they're going through, and, and, and in terms of how they treat them? Those types of things, I think those are the, the, that's going to determine how damaging this is because Iowa is still a great place to, to, to play football. It's still a great place to go to school. It, it's, a, it's a great place for a lot of players to develop 
into uh, you know v- very successful people, or in some cases NFL players. So I don't think that's going to to necessarily hurt Iowa in the in the long run. But I think the work that's done now and how they address some of the questions that are inevitably going to come up from these families and, and maybe these players. That's going to, I guess, I guess shape how, how damaging this, this is for them. Adam, since we got your last thing uh, from me, at, uh, we'll let you go, Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. Bob Bowlesby's come out, Big 12 commissioner, and says he had, they're bracing for interruptions uh, in the middle of the season. I'm assuming all of the conference commissioners are, are, um, are developing their own plan. Um, it's uncharted territory. Do you expect that, um, sadly, we might have interruptions if, indeed, we do get started on time? Well, again, I think it just depends on on you know what's happening right now, and then the the the, the ability to manage the positive test. Iowa had one, uh, you know, that they revealed yesterday. Um, you know, Alabama's had some. Oklahoma State, I think, had three. So it's just a, the ability to manage it from turning into a few cases to, in essentially, an outbreak on one team, which would would, would take that team out of commission for a couple of weeks. And obviously if it happens to one or two teams in a conference, it affects everybody because of the scheduling model. So I, I think it just, again, it goes back to the, uh, the, the ability to test, the ability to identify if there are positives and prevent those from turning into 10 or 20 or 30. And, um, and then just also just the knowledge of the virus and where we're at in the fall. But it's certainly possible that we could have interruptions. It's certainly possible we could have canceled games but I, I just know that from talking to a lot of folks around college sports, there's a lot more confidence just in the operation now and, and understanding how they have to go about things. And a big part of that, guys, is going to be on the players. Um, you know, I know there's uh, so a lot of these positive tests have been those who don't have symptoms. But if you have symptoms, it's really important to come forward, just like any of us, because we're around people to prevent others from getting infected. Adam Rittenberg from ESPN. You can read his piece at ESPN.com. Adam, thanks for coming on. Great to talk to you. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks. Yep, appreciate it. Uh, Adam Rittenberg, ESPN, as uh, his piece is up as he interviewed uh, Deontay Morrow yesterday, who left the program in 2009. Right in that range, yeah. Right played a range. couple, played quite a bit his first couple yep. of years on campus. Mentioned pretty good recruit. He was a top 250 player nationally. Picked Iowa over Indiana, Illinois, Penn State were his finalists. And a couple of years, part of that Glenville, part of the Ted Ginn yeah. group. That uh, made their way. The guys that didn't get the Buckeye offers became Hawkeyes there for a year or two, it seemed like. And some good ones, to say yes. the least. We'll uh, come back, finish up a uh, Miller & Condon for a Tuesday. It's Des Moines Sports Station, 1460 KX&O. And the newly renovated Bennigan's on Merle Hay Road is reopened. Bennigan's has all your old menu favorites and now... An updated look. A huge 86-inch TV. Televisions throughout for your sports viewing. And now, 20 beers on tap. Bennigan's on Merle Hay is clean and follows safety protocols to keep their customers safe and healthy. Dine in, carry out, or curbside. Your neighborhood gathering spot for the best happy hour in town. Connected to the Holiday Inn at 4800 Merle Hay Road. Bennigan's, your new neighborhood gathering spot. All right, final couple of minutes here on a Tuesday. Miller and Condon, 1460 KXNO, 106.3 FM. We're scheduled to go to Vegas tomorrow. Ah, I always love a trip to Vegas. Did you see my retweet last night of the character sitting at a slot machine as Vegas yeah, is open back up? You put that up? Is that where I saw that from? 
The so guy he's with got the his mask? mask? Yeah, he's got his mask on. <laughs> For people that missed it, go to at Trent Condon. You can find the retweet. He's got to get his heater going, so he's uh-huh. got a cigarette. Kind of puts it in the side there, takes a nice pull. <laughs> Let's the smoke dangle in there inside that mask for a moment, then opens it up and blows it right out of there. Yeah, I, I did see it. I did see it. I did, uh, some of the uh, some of the video from Vegas, the Cosmopolitan was shoulder to shoulder. Trent, there had to be, look, I get it, masks, not everybody wants to wear them. I do when I'm in public. Um, I don't know, 1,000 people? I counted two masks. Oh, really? I counted two masks. There was, this has been viewed over two million times when I saw it, uh, but... It was busy this past weekend, so we'll get the latest on what's going on in a city, certainly Trent and I love, and um, for tomorrow from Patrick Everson from Covers.com. Pretty good uh, pretty good uh, resource. So we'll do that. Cappy's going to join us. He had Sosa on his program today. Oh, he did? Yeah, he had Sammy at, uh, at 10 o'clock. Remember Cappy interviewed him when Sosa was trying to mend fences, per se, not too many years ago. Cappy went to, I think, Florida uh, and interviewed Sammy Sosa. So there was a relationship there. Uh, we'll get Cappy tomorrow. We'll pick his brain on that. Sunday night, 8 o'clock, McGuire Sosa. Why did I think it was two-part? In fact, to be, to be honest, I thought Bruce Lee was two-part. Oh, you did? Okay, maybe I that was, was under the, the misconception yeah. that I was thinking to myself, how are you going to get this two parts out of this? An hour in, he was dead. Right, right. That's really stretching it Ooh, out there. Unless three more hours of this, yeah. Unless you're getting into a son, who yeah. also had a tragic passing. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, on a movie set. Really? Yeah, I think he fell from a movie set, if memory serves. Yeah. I didn't know that about him. I wondered why he wasn't in it at the end when they finally showed his wife, mm-hmm. whose voice was in it, and his daughter. Uh, it was. If if you've got it uh, recorded, I'm not going to tell you not to watch it. I'm going to tell you to maybe wear comfortable clothes because I think it'll put you to sleep. <laughs> Good place to get a nap. Yeah, it, it didn't move my needle. This this one certainly will. So, Cappy yeah. tomorrow, going to head to Vegas tomorrow. Uh, look forward to both Governor of those press pieces. conference tomorrow. Yeah, that's right. We'll have Kim Reynolds and maybe some baseball. What's the news today? What comes out of today? We leave here at noon or just before noon, not knowing what's going to happen. What are we going to be talking about tomorrow morning at 10 a.m.? Mm, good question. There isn't a Iowa football player we're waiting on hearing from, like with nope. DJK. Uh, Wadley's mom is supposed to speak tomorrow. At least that's what she said over the weekend, right. that she's going to pull the curtain back on the Iowa program. I don't think she will. It's been a long time from Saturday to Wednesday, and she wanted to wait because to Wednesday's her birthday. Right. I bet cooler heads have prevailed. All right, anyways, Murph and Andy, two fanatics at four. Morning Rush tomorrow at 6 a.m. We're Miller and Condon, weekdays 10 to noon on 1460 KXNO and 106.3.